Yo, this is Stephen Lee. And I'm Frank Jackson. And, and we, we are, are the, the Distinguished, Distinguished Critics. We're here to break down some of our favorite albums and songs and debate what's overrated, underrated, and everything in between. So join us as we go back and relive some of music's most iconic projects. Give us a listen wherever you get your podcasts. And please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and give us those five stars. I think my one, it's not that they didn't bring their best, but I think the one slight knock that I have on this project is if we're talking about, you know, Snoop being uh, Dre's protege on The Chronic and M being uh, Dre's protege on 2001, um, the artist that Dre brought to the forefront in 1992, and I'm speaking of, you know, Lady of Rage, Corrupt, Daz, Nate Dogg, um, on this project, the artist that he was trying to push never really got to that level. Uh, Hitman never did. I, I'm not taking away anything that he did on this album, but right. you know, as a, as a viable solo artist, he, he kind of fizzled out after a year or two. Speak Easy Studios. Speak and be heard. I'm Stephen Lee here with Frank Jackson, and on this week's edition of This or That, we're going to be talking about two genre-shifting albums. Dr. Dre's true sophomore effort, 2001, and 50 Cent's iconic debut, Get Rich or Die Trying. Frank, how you doing today, man? I'm good, man. Excited to discuss these two albums. Uh, we chose two real heavyweights today. Um, we decided to go with, you know, like you said, Dre. This was a, a major comeback for him. Um, you know, Dre mentioned on Forgot About Dre, which we most certainly will talk about. Uh, you know, he says my last album was the chronic, which most certainly was not true. Uh, Dre had so much turmoil, uh, throughout the nineties and he almost became a relic. And this was the effort that brought him all the way back and propelled him to even where he had never been before. Uh, and then when you talk about 50 cent, get rich or die trying, which obviously is under the Dre tree. So many great things are under the Dr. Dre tree. Uh, this was, I mean, in our lifetime, you know, I, you know, Snoop came out during our lifetimes, but since we started listening to music, since we became cognizant fans, right. since we knew everything that was going on, uh, there was nothing like 50 before 50 nor after in terms of just how hard he hit the scene. It's right. like he, he hit the ground running a hundred miles per hour. Yeah, and the thing with 52, I, I think you like you have to talk about the fact that we're still in very much in the CD era, right? So in terms of how like albums are shipped and, and what we're quantifying as sales, I don't think it could ever be done again, you know, what 50 did with Get Richer, Tr Die Trying. But I did want to start with Dre, um, because you just mentioned, you know, by 99, this album dropped, I want to say November or December of 99. So we're, we're at the turn of the new millennium. Um, you said he was close to being a relic, I, I would argue he kind of was. You know, right. if, if Dre was viewed that way um, prior to having dropped the chronic and, and leaving NWA when people didn't really view him as a viable solo artist, uh, this was even more magnified by the time 2001 was dropped. And, you know, there's a lot of backstory that's very intriguing to me when it comes to this project because some people would look at even the title, for example, and be like, you know, why is this called... 2001. Um, well, Dre left Death Row Records, as most know, in 1996, um, when Tupac Shakur was still alive. And I think it's kind of uh, overlooked that he gave his entire share of that company, which was 50% to Suge Knight, and walked away and said, okay, I'm starting Aftermath Entertainment. And, you know, there, there was a documentary that came out a few years ago called The Defiant Ones. And Jimmy Iovine, you know, the, the head of Interscope Records and Drake, like to paint this picture that Aftermath went through some lows, but that they always had this grand vision. And that may be true, but in that time that Drake started Aftermath, which was in 96, between that and, and the time that this album dropped, 2001 and 1999, um, Aftermath was losing money. Like, th this was not like, oh, Dre, you know, hit the ground running. You know, you said that The Chronic wasn't, or I'm sorry, 2001 wasn't his second album. And that's true. He dropped a compilation in late 96 called Aftermath Presents. And it was a critical and commercial failure. 
And, you know, following that up a, a few months later was the firm, which was, you know, a super group comprised of Nas, AZ, Foxy Brown. It was originally Core Mega, then it became Nature. And you think like, okay, Dre on the board for uh, an East Coast hip hop super group, this has to be successful, right? And that, that simply wasn't the case. I mean, it was a dud of an album. I know we appreciate some of the things that he did around that time, but Dr. Dre in 1999 was not viewed the way Dre, the way we view Dre now or the way people choose to look at him. Not even close. I mean, he, uh, in that time since he had left death row, uh, Dre, now he had a lot of personal issues. There were, there were arrests. There was abuse that, you know, if you know anything about Dre, you've heard of this thing. Um, you know, Dre had a lot of issues with violence against women, uh, a lot of drinking issues, a lot of just personal issues. He had death. His, he lost his stepbrother, which drove him even well, further, or, or half-brother, yeah, I, half I meant half-brother, yep. mm -hmm. uh, which drove him even further down the drain. So Dre went through a whole lot leading up to this. And uh, as you mentioned, he had, you know, two albums that followed up The Chronic before 2001 and there was just no remnants of the Dre that people had once known. And he, he even made mention, uh, even going back to, to what you said about, you know, Jimmy Iovine may have said, you know, Oh, we always had this vision, but Dr. Dre admitted himself. Uh, he had lost himself. He, he felt like his magic was gone. He, he doubted himself when it came to this. So, you know, Jimmy Iovine can say that, but from the man himself, really what it took to to rescue Dre was this thing he never saw coming by the name of Slim Shady. Yeah, white boy from Detroit. And and that's really what it what it took to get and sometimes you need that stroke of luck. You know, you can have all the talent in the world and you can have uh and just have, you know, writer's block, in this case producer's block. Right. And you know, he out of nowhere he hears Eminem and, you know, the rest is kind of history. He, it's like a light switch went off. Exactly. It almost it reinvigorated him and, and brought him back to a place of creativity. And uh, Dre's sound had changed. He still had elements of that West Coast G-Funk sound. Right. And, and for a period there, Dre even made mention of it on some of his songs, you know, he wanted to get away from the whole gangster rap thing. Oh, yeah. The single from, you know, we talked about Aftermath Presents, been there, done that. Yep. He kind of uh, completely shed that image. I mean, he's, you know, he mentioned it on 2001. He's like, the last video you saw me, I'm, I'm doing the tango in a tuxedo. Yeah. It was almost like the death row thing had consumed him so much that he went the complete opposite route with it. And, you know, speaking of the, the whole starting the G-Funk, uh, it could be argued Above the Law and Dre both kind of started that sound around the same time. Obviously, they were still on Ruthless Records right. at the time, but Dre really brought that into the mainstream, these heavy hitting Parliament Funkadelic samples Absolutely. that really kind of took over not just the West Coast and put a stamp on West Coast hip hop, but it dominated the rap game for three or four years. And I think by the time this album came out, you were still getting some of that from your Warren G's and your corrupts, but Dre obviously wanted to kind of shift this. He didn't want to lean on something that he had created seven years ago and say, okay, this is, this is what I'm bringing into the new millennium. I did want to talk about the title real quick because obviously with the Tupac incident in Vegas, Suge Knight goes to prison and you know, he's locked up for five years. So around this time, Suge is being as petty as, as Suge could be. And we all know, you know, Suge's reputation Which is another in 2022. Um, so Dre was originally going to title this the chronic 2000, which honestly sounds like a phenomenal title, given that this album dropped in December of 99. Right. And this was going to be the new sound. This is going to be Dr. Dre reborn, a true follow-up, a true follow-up. And um, obviously the chronic is such a, an impactful title when you're talking about hip hop. I mean, obviously it's a strain of weed, but I think he, he put that on the map in terms of it, not just being that, but like, you no, know, this sound is dope. And, you know, Suge and his infinite pettiness owns the rights to the name, the chronic at that time and decided I'm going to go ahead and put together this half-ass death row compilation called Suge Knight represents the Chronic 2000, you know, and on that album, 
came out, I want to say about five or six months before 2001. You know, you had Snoop Dogg sound alikes, Tupac sound alikes, Dr. Dre disses, Snoop Dogg disses, and it really just flopped. So from that, Dre was like, okay, if this is the Chronic 2000 and you own the name The Chronic, I'm just going to call this 2001 to show that I'm a step above whatever the hell you just put out. Right. And I mean, it. as we get into the album, uh, this also marked uh, not not the first time, but this truly brought it home. The the reconciliation of Dre and Snoop, who who had fallen out for a little while. Uh, Snoop, you know, obviously went to No Limit, and he had some success there. No Limit, uh, you know, saved him really because both of them around the same period of time were kind of in danger of being forgotten about. Right. The south. And, the south was starting to take over. Right. Exactly. And uh, they happened to reconcile, and it could not have come at a more perfect time. Uh, when you go into this album, there's such a heavy mix of, you know, getting the crew back together, but mixed with people you've never heard of, like Hitman, who's right. on 10 songs on his album. He has even his own song on this album where, you know, it's just him. He has a few, if I'm not mistaken. He had, well, Ackwright is... Just a, him. a solo song. Only him. You got Murder and, Inc. and yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's look. One thing you always have to understand with Dre, uh, Dre is not a rapper, right? But no one ever, you know, much like Easy, you know, Easy never wrote his stuff, mm -hmm. but you know, his he delivered it and it and it sounded good. But no one is in the realm with Dre when it comes to. If you write something dope for Dre, he knows exactly how to deliver it. And that's one of his biggest skill sets. You know, artists who work with him always talk about, you know, Dre will sit there and tell you, no, do it again. Mm -hmm. Do it this way. Do it again. Do it this way. And when it comes out, it's perfect. He has such a knack for knowing exactly how to deliver something. And on this album... You know, obviously the the writers he had on the album, everybody's so talented. But Hit, the way Hitman he delivered being a it, big part of that, I oh, mean, a massive. It, it, um, it's, right. it's 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 arguable that Hitman was the biggest influence on this entire album. Uh, Hitman actually spoke about it, and uh, what I like is he referred to himself as the gravity on this album. So no matter where anyone was going with it. He viewed himself as the person who was always going to bring it back to the roots of what this album was supposed to be. And what this album truly is, is a, a true glimpse into the West Coast, the dirtiest parts of it. This album is dark humor, is violence, it's all the things really that Dre's fans wanted from him that he personally wanted to get away from, but sometimes in the process of trying to reinvent yourself, what may be right for you may not be right for your career. And this was certainly that case with Dre. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, this kind of reunion with Snoop Dogg. Um, Dre did produce uh, pieces of Eminem's debut album. Obviously he's, you know, definitely credited for having discovered him. You got songs like Guilty Conscience and My Name Is. Um, but it was still it was still kind of up in the air as to whether Dre as an artist could deliver another chronic. And I think in order for him to even attempt to do that, you did have to bring in a Snoop Dogg. Um, you know, you mentioned Snoop being on No Limit. Snoop's career was at a crossroads as well. I mean, that album, The Game Is To Be Sold, his first release for No Limit, I personally like it. I think it's a great uh, album for what it is, but let's be honest, it's it's a No Limit album, and that and that is not what people wanted from Snoop. So this kind of um, divorce and then remarriage between the two was just the perfect uh, time for both of them in their careers. And I think, you know, Snoop drops his sophomore album on No Limit, No Limit Top Dog, and Dre does a few records on that. I believe he did three or four. And again, it's like, okay, this is a different sound. This is not G-Funk. You, you know, you listen to songs like um, Buckham and Just Dippin'. These are not, they're not trying to recreate the magic of the chronic. 
So I say all that to say, by the time this album comes out, it is like, okay, you know, we, we know he's working with Snoop again. We know he's discovered Eminem, but like, how is this going to sound? So let's go ahead and get into the album. Well, one thing I want to mention before we do that, um, I would be remiss to not mention how important it was that Dre had the wherewithal to bring in somebody like Mailman who was just does not get enough credit. I mean, it's it's arguable that his influence on this album is what kept Dre so grounded. He needed that sort of uh if you don't know who Mailman is, he he came in to basically co-produce this album with Dre. And so much of of his fingerprints are all over this album. You know, this wasn't uh Dre just front to back producing this entire project and Dre you know, credit to him when you're on his level. Although at that time, yes, sure, he was down. But having had the success that he'd experienced before, he still set his ego aside and said, let me bring in this other person to help me co-produce this album. And, I mean, it worked flawlessly. Well, yeah, you know, if we're talking about Hitman and what he is lyrically in terms, you know, just a writing uh contribution to the album i think melman would definitely be that on the boards and people need to remember that there's a difference between being a producer and making beats uh when you talk about soul music and r&b music or even going back to the 60s with motown just because uh smoky robinson produced a record or norman whitfield produced a record doesn't mean that they're playing every key on the song being a producer is overseeing all of this Absolutely. that's why dre is viewed as you know a modern day quincy jones so the album starts off with an intro it's a very cinematic intro you can hear you know trey d and exhibit in the background dre's bouncing his low rider but then it immediately transitions into the watcher Ooh. and you can tell right away it said the tone dre is back right yeah. um yeah this song was written by eminem and you can certainly tell but as you mentioned earlier dre's cadence his voice his delivery um there is n- nobody comparable to that i don't care if he writes it or not it's it's how he expresses this he always adopts the style of who the writer is and the watcher is just one of those songs that is so reflective on and there's themes of this throughout the album that is so reflective on the trials and tribulations that he's been through over a, a funky ass beat mind you this isn't just some like oh. you know I'm, I'm revisiting the past and it's over some bland beat i mean it, it hits you right in the it's face it's the perfect opener and i think when i say it set the tone i mean in every way it it so much of this album was anger mm-hmm. from Dre. You know he he did feel betrayed. You know if you if you uh, most people know the song "Forgot About Dre" and that iconic verse Dre has, in my opinion, the the best verse Dre has ever had, and that's saying a lot. Agreed. Um, this entire album was the grander view of that dre was saying throughout this entire album basically how the fuck did y'all forget about me i'm dre like y'all gonna who disrespect think, who, me who you think brought you the og the easy ease yeah, ice like cubes all, and docs all and of all. this stuff like dre's dre is saying throughout this entire album oh y'all really thought that i was gone like right. y'all y'all really forgot y'all just cast me to the side like i'm nothing and the anger he has through this album that's what drove him to make this this album. You know, the, the same failures that he had uh, between The Firm and uh, Aftermath Presents, that is the same shit that led to this album being as great as it is because he read and listened to all of it. Right. And it, it absolutely lit a fire under him. And I'm glad he did have those failures because... You know, who's to say he would have been in this position had he just kept riding high on even some moderately successful albums? Exactly, just kind if of maintaining the status quo. As bad as they did, even though, let me say, the firm did uh, have some commercial success, but let's be frank about it. Yeah, Plat- nobody. Platinum, platinum in 1997 simply wasn't good enough for a Nas and Dre project. No, the the expectations for something like that were astronomical, and 
the firm was something that was just kind of all over the place and never felt like there was any cohesiveness. It was, it just didn't feel right, you know? So despite some commercial success, uh, he had two massive flops really. And it had to be that bad for this to be that good. Well, you mentioned the anger earlier, and you can definitely feel that sense of like, I really can't believe you just cast me aside and acted like I didn't, you know, push hip hop to where it is right now. Um, but there's another thing that kind of struck me about this album is just the maturity on it. This isn't the chronic in the sense that he's, um, you know, he doesn't have brash tales of like, you know, rat-a-tat-tat, and I'm going to get my gat, and this, that, and the third. I mean, from the opening song, The Watcher, I mean, he has a line where it's like, you know, how would you feel if people wanted you shot? I ain't a thug. How much Tupac in you you got? And that's one of the the, the themes of this album, too, is he's not playing the gangster. He's an, uh, an architect of this, but he's also, this isn't just mindless gangster rap that you saw so much of in the late 90s. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, they are all painting the picture. It's almost like a it's almost like you're taking a ride on like a bulletproof party bus through LA at night and you just get to see everything. They're just painting the pictures for you. You know, they, they went and got basically everyone you could, you could ever want on for, for a truly West coast album. This album felt like a movie. Right. And it really was just, Everything that a Dre fan will want is gangster rap, violence, the sex, you know, some of, some of the skits, the, the partying, like everything that you could ask for from a Dre album uh, was this, not to mention, he said, let me also throw my protege on here. And this this propelled Eminem's star power to yet another level because Eminem had already experienced success with the Slim Shady LP actually sold extremely well uh, triple platinum maybe yeah mm -hmm. it might have been four times platinum it, right. it sold extremely well this propelled him to an entirely different level so you know when you get into this album it's the the singles from this album these are songs that i mean you still you can see commercials to this day right. that still have some of the piano from Still Dre. All right, let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah, because, I, you know, going back to what we were discussing earlier about Dre recognizing his own in-house talent and being able to take certain skills from certain producers or writers and recognize what that could be with the right structure. I mean, Scott Storch's whole career was based on these keys. Like, Scott's playing the piano, and from the moment you hear that, and Snoop and Dre have their little intro, and then Dre's, uh, you know, kicking three verses, penned by Jay-Z, by the way, who is another um, contributor to this project that really gave it, gave Dre the flavor that he needed. From the moment you hear those keys from Scott Storch, that in itself, to me, changed the sound of West Coast hip-hop for the next three or four years. Absolutely. And, I mean, it, like I said, you still see there's people who... To this day, you know, we have things like TikTok, all these different social media things. There's kids who are, you know, working on their production skills, making videos. This is one of the first things that they try to replicate. You see it all over the place. Mm -hmm. This this song has such an iconic sound that it is it is truly a single that, you know, people can have singles that are, oh, this was the sound of an era or this was the sound of, you know, that this decided what would be the sound for the next few years. But this one really, this will live forever. Right. Still Dre is, is that production, that sound will live forever. And it's arguable, even though that was the first single, it's very arguable that that's not even the biggest single from this album. Because then you have Forgot About Dre, which I would argue is the biggest single because of... Eminem also right. being on there. And it was, I, you know, I made mention earlier, this entire album sort of being the grander view of, of Dre's last verse on Forgot About Dre. Mm -hmm. That verse itself, it is an absolute mass. It's per, it's a perfect verse. Is it, it is it is him getting out literally every single, well, fuck you too. Right. 
I, me personally, I think it's a top five hip hop verse of all time, and I, I don't give a shit that he didn't. Given write the it. context, I certainly agree with that, right? Because it's not just not only is it lyrical, but it's when you look at the stakes. How high were the stakes on this album? I mean, this really had this album not done well. Who who be, knows we, what the music world is like today? Because correct. Dre is is written off at that point right he's written off it's like he, i mean he maybe he's doing it. a few beats on m's next album and that but that's that's the extent of it i mean well he basically just becomes the dude who produces some some hit you know like it's it's not that legend of drake that's what it is this is this really is where the legend of dre continued sort of where the mythology of dre and his genius became right. even bigger than just the man himself whereas if this didn't succeed the way that it did then he would have just been the producer yeah. it would just been you know dr dre he makes good beats okay this is he he grew to a legend on this and forgot about dre was truly just the perfect marriage of dre's anger lashing out at all the people who who had written him off um eminem just showcasing his his penmanship his lyrical talent his ability to just i mean his and make you laugh too and make you laugh and he was funny you know like he was able to kind of be a chameleon on anything that he got on you know he was he was such a monster it can't be understated how pivotal it was for dre that he made this discovery right and Eminem and because the timing of all of this too. His oh the, yeah, the timing was perfect, and the way he fits with Dre's production is there's no no more perfect marriage, right? So it's, uh, it's some would argue Dre and Snoop, but I mean it, it's it's fair. Uh, apples and oranges, you know, fair and also kind of two different eras. I think the way Snoop fit with Dre's production, Dre's early production, amazing, right? Flawless, but the way that M fit with Dre's this later uh, mature sort of tweaked production was even, and at the end of the day, Slim Shady was simply a better rapper than Snoop ever was, even though that's never been Snoop like calling card. No, it's his, it's his, it's his voice. It's everything, yeah. you know. It's it's the total package, but. Just his his ability his his skill like Eminem's skill mixed with Dre's skill made made like everything so perfect. Well, that's why the timing of this album is so critical too. I mean, had Dre discovered M and put out the Slim Shady LP and then decided to sit on putting his own album out another two or three years, maybe that this build wouldn't have been as strong because then the public's already had a chance to really digest a few Eminem projects, yeah. but this is still very much the momentum was still there. He's a freshman on this album. And he, I mean, he's, he's hitting them left and right. Forgot about Dre. Definitely. Um, uh, well, it's arguable, probably the biggest single on this album, but you know, we can't forget the next episode. Even. Yeah. I mean, the next episode, if we're talking about M being a perfect fit on Dre's production and this being a lyrical escapade while getting back at the critics, the next episode, to me, is a very updated version of the classic feel-good West Coast sound that you came to expect from uh, Snoop and a Nate Dogg and even Corrupt on the ad-libs, Dr. Dre, motherfucker. Like, all of that was just a callback to what made you fall in love with Dre's music to begin with. Absolutely. I do think this was the up because Dre did, even though he had matured his sound and he had changed some of the things, you know, that it's not like the synths went away or any of that, but they sort of became a, a secondary part of his production. Whereas before they were so prominently featured and just thrown in your face on pretty much every track because it was that heavy kind of parliament sound. And he had not gotten away from the synths, but they became something that was in the background and even a change as subtle as that made it such a, a more modern sound. So when you listen to the next episode, you know, you were just saying it's, it's arguable that the chemistry between Snoop and Dre is every bit as strong as M and Dre. And this would be a perfect example yeah. of it. I mean, it's 
put them put them up against or put them up next week. I don't want to say against each other. Put them up next to each other, and it really is apples and oranges. But it's both per, it, both of them are perfect and fits both of their skill sets correctly. Because when you listen to the next episode, I mean, you if you close your eyes and and picture it, it's really just Dre and Snoop. You know, riding the six four down the street, you know, like Bellin in the Century Club. That's you know that's exactly what, what you picture. And when you picture forgot about Dre, you're picturing some sort of like wild shit, some angry shit happening. Yeah. And you know, for anybody who's seen the video, it's it's what it reflects, right. you know, like uh I I always thought, you know, like M is what brought out Dre's most fun side where they can just be Crazy, crazy and silly right. with shit and have the darkest humor, you know, like you think of like guilty conscience. Guilty conscience, yeah. Things like that. But Snoop Snoop, I think, has always brought out the best in Dre. Mm-hmm. And I think even even as I say that him and Eminem have the perfect chemistry, I think the best that gets brought out of Dre has always been with Snoop. Right, right. Um, do you have, I mean, like, obviously we're, we're singing the praises of this album because it is a nearly flawless album. Do you have any, um, like, do you have any complaints about this record or is there anything that like kind of stands out as like, uh, you know, I, I could have done without that, or maybe that wasn't the right fit. Honestly, I, I cannot really think of one. I think that this even, even, you know, all the skits, everything fit perfectly. This album felt like a movie to me really mm-hmm. it almost felt like i was watching something like minister society with kind of like some some dark humor but just the audio version and it's it's the marriage of everything he had on here shout out to exhibit of course yeah. who i mean he's who, who, always who been to, to, to that point uh up until 99 really was kind of viewed as like almost like an East Coast rapper. He was like the West Coast, like underground. I'm a lyrical MC. The production reflected that. But once he got with Dre, it was like, okay, his his sound has completely shifted and for the better in my opinion. And uh this this album is is really and you you, you can't say this about a lot of albums, but I I do think this is a flawless album. I mean it was when you think about it, it's Dre having everything to prove and everything to lose which put him at his best and all the people on the album wanting for Dre to regain what he is and also people wanting to make a name for themselves as well because one thing Dre has always been able to do he'll make a name for you He'll certainly do that. Oh, so you're I cement just, it. If you're on one of these, pro, I mean, we're talking about Hitman 23 years later right. because of his contribution solely to this record. Exactly. And so I think, you know, this the fact that everybody really brought their ache. Who is there a single person on this album that, that you didn't could say their didn't purpose. bring their right. A game? Like, there, there really isn't anyone. And uh, I'm really not trying to be hyperbolic. I genuinely believe that everybody just brought everything best yeah to this album and we're talking about people whose best is among the best right i think my one it's not that they didn't bring their best but i think the one slight knock that i have on this project is if we're talking about you know snoop being uh dre's protege on the chronic and m being uh dre's protege on 2001 um the artist that dre brought to the forefront in 1992 and I'm speaking of, you know, Lady of Rage, Corrupt, Daz, Nate Dogg. Um, on this project, the artist that he was trying to push never really got to that level. Uh, Hitman never did. I- I'm not taking away anything that he did on this album. But, right. you know, as, an, as a viable solo artist, he, he kind of fizzled out after a year or two. Uh, Miss Rock, Six Deuce. I mean, but on, on this album, they're fine. Right. It's just they didn't have the staying power that, you know, the Dog Pound and, and RBX and th- that these right. guys have. Which had. is, it should be noted, and, and it's, you know, ironically, despite what I was saying about Dre being a star maker, you know, aside from basically those who were either already budding stars or were already just superstars, there were no stars created from this album right. from people who weren't already previously known in that realm right right but they were all stars on this album right and that's if anything that that sort of just speaks to i think what 
Dre brings out of people. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's that great. Whereas you know these people kind of before and after him are relatively unknown. But on this album, they it's almost all a, sound like stars. It's almost as if if you were in the studio with Dre around this time, like you could hop on and and spit at eight bars that you know people could still vibe to to this day because that was just the the creative atmosphere that was being cultivated at Aftermath in 1999. Give me your favorite song on the album. Well. That's difficult, of course, but I I think I would actually go with The Watcher. Mm, okay. Because of how it set the tone for the album and I just the the production is flawless. I it's just Dre, if you can take yourself back to that moment, Dre really did tell us in that moment like this I'm about to take you on a ride for this album and by the way, I'm fully back. Like it it only took that song the opening verse yeah yeah for you to know like oh okay he's fully back this is and, different and better than ever right so i would go with the watcher yeah uh, i i i can't not go with forgot about dre and it's Fair. very it's very rare that like a single is the one that gets the most correct play. It, it, usually it's one of those deep album cuts you know the meat and potatoes of the album where it's just like whoa this is a great track but maybe it didn't have that single potential forgot about dre is a perfect song from top to bottom not only is it a timeless um, release individually, but like just sandwiched in the middle of this album, I can't think of a more perfect song. That's fair. And I, it would be my number two easily. So I think uh, all in all, I, it's it's hard to really find any sort of blemish on this album. Uh, and this is what propelled Dre into the next phase of his career. And speaking of the next phase of his career, Let's get into it. Uh, a few years down the line, you have the introduction of <laughs> what would eventually become, uh, a, I mean, just an, a, mo- a mogul, a, a guy right now who gets mentioned in the same breath with the Jay-Zs and the Diddies and the Master P's of guys who completely graduated beyond hip-hop right. and became true businessmen like fortune 500 level businessmen who are so intelligent and it and it took a start like this for them to eventually show what they become so we are talking of course about 50 cent and his just meteoric rise to the top almost instantaneously uh obviously 50 had done Things prior to this, a lot of things in the streets that got him uh, in some trouble. Um, yeah, a few on some records, too. Yeah. You know, even before this album. I mean, we're, we'll definitely well, get into that. Yes, he he certainly did some things that spilled out into the streets and actually uh, lost him his first record deal. But 50 Cent uh, was... Just, not only that, almost, almost cost him his life. Well, right, yeah. absolutely. And we certainly will talk about that. Uh, he was discovered by Eminem. Let's call it paying it forward. So, I mean, obviously Eminem wasn't the first person to discover him, but Eminem is the person who said, I think we can we can make a superstar out of this. Just a complete diamond in the rough. Right. Right. Uh, despite all the trouble that came with him, because that was sort of the knock on him, was like, this dude is really not just talking about this shit on songs like he's he was making these songs and then going and doing it yeah i mean 50 in 2001 2002 was viewed as untouchable when it comes to the industry why would i invest money in him if he's possibly just going to end up dead tomorrow right or Or when he leaves the studio or be the biggest legal headache that you've ever had go to jail again and i mean he he was that type 50 was really out here doing it which as we get into this, leads to the allure of him and why he shot up so quickly. Right. Throughout the history of hip-hop, you know, the fans want to have somebody who talks about a certain thing, right? It's, it's sort of like the, the content is determined by, by what the fans want. And obviously, a lot of the fans... Uh, have a certain image of what they want a rapper to be. So a lot of rappers will pretend to be that thing. Right. There's no pretending 
with 50 Cent. No, not, none at all. I mean, the, the guy comes on the scene, you know, 98, 99. He drops yes. a song called Life's on the Line. Right. And um, <laughs> clearly going at Ja Rule and yep. Murder, Inc., who at that time were just starting to bubble, right? I don't even think Ja had dropped his first album, but, you know, he was on he was on Can I Get A? And, I mean, he was making his rounds right. with, he was with no. X and Jay-Z. Right. And 50 is, I mean, he's taking shots at them left and right. He drops How to Rob. And how to rob yes. is going at everybody, and yes, it's it's one of those classic like parody, like you know. Right. Of course, he's not doing this, but he's talking about robbing everybody and in it the industry. Off a lot of people by name. Uh, Big Pun had an incident with Fifty Cent over this. Ghostface Killa had words for Fifty over this song. This was one of those songs that like definitely put him on the radar, but it was almost like okay. Is he really going to be this type of artist? Like, it, it could he ever be on the level of some of these guys that he's even talking about? He had a mentality from the beginning, and it was very clear that if you want to be the best, beat the best, or more accurately, probably for him, kill the head and the body's dead. Right. It was kind of this thing like, I'm not going to come in as some humble dude. I'm going to come in gunning at the people at the top and if y'all have a problem with it if y'all want smoke i'm here for right all of it oh and he got a lot of it and he got a lot of yeah, it and you know and then there's that's not even talking about you know the ghetto quran thing which brought even a lot of controversy more i mean that that shit spilled over into very ugly situations in the streets 50 was so heavily involved it was almost like the lines were blurred between what's entertainment and what's real and for most of the stuff he was talking about that's all real it reminded me a lot of tupac and i say that to say ghetto quran a song you just mentioned basically is coming out and he's he's dropping names about some real street players that you know this guy did the you know preem was the businessman and prince was the killer and it's like a lot of these guys were still out there trying to make moves at the time so when you hear a song like that the first thing that comes to mind for me is a song like against all odds by tupac where it's you know king tut and jimmy henchman and haitian jack and it's like dude, mentioning you're, people you're, that will really get you touched correct out here. these yeah. are guys that are in the yeah. shadows that have been pulling strings for a long time and you know, a song like that coupled with Life's on the Line. You know, we mentioned Supreme. Supreme was a uh, a heavy hitter in Queens. Really um, one of the most feared men in, in the borough. Like, you know, murders, drugs, all of this throughout the 80s. The Supreme team. Um, Supreme was affiliated with Ja Rule and Murder, Inc. And on songs like these and this attitude, this brash attitude that 50 brought to the industry immediately is what led to the incident that occurred in May of 2000 which, you know, obviously most fans of 50, or if you're even remotely familiar with 50, know he got shot nine times as a result of all of this that was going on. Right, and uh, it's, it's, it's funny, but not really funny, sort of in a, a dark humor kind of way, you know. Uh, the joke used to always be, you know, if you want to be like a famous rapper, just get shot, right? If you die, you you go diamond, right. right? But like fifty, as we talk about the mythology of people, kind of growing into this thing that's even bigger than the man. Fifty got shot nine times, and lived to tell it. And not only did he live to tell it, he was you know by all accounts, because fifty is well known well-known where he's from and the work that he put in uh, not on the mic um after his recovery he was back out there in the streets looking for the people who did it to him and again the people that we mentioned are people that still very active not at only that time. not only do you not want looking for you you damn sure don't go looking for them right but he was and it was all of that stuff and uh, keep in mind, we haven't even mentioned the music yet. We're, yeah. just, we're, we're talking <laughs> like about the buildup to his career, which is meteoric in and of itself. But like he changed the mixtape game, Frank. Yeah. Like mixtapes is, you know, if you're if you were born in like 1990, like us, like or, or let's just say a little bit after you might have grown up listening to the drought three or, you know, what, you know, these little Wayne mixtapes and these artists that literally pushed their music, gave it away free to the streets just to get their buzz popping. That did not exist before 50 Cent. 
Right. He he changed the game in so many ways. I think this was a, we made mention a little bit earlier to Snoop's kind of the way he hit the scene and it was the the biggest thing that hip hop has ever seen. This was next. Right. This was the next one. Like 50 comes along. All the things that we mentioned that were off the mic, just simply his 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 mythology, his story, his legend. It made everyone have to look and listen to what he was going to do next and what did he do you next? Had to. There I was mean, this sense of danger, right? There's almost this uh kind of like sadistic thing that we have uh, uh and it's kind of voyeuristic where we're kind of looking like Oh, you know Man, something's about to happen. So, to, yeah. He's so self-destructive. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen next. Right. Keep and, your eyes on him. And then he drops Get Rich or Die Trying. Well, wh- let, let's preface that with, with Wankster. I mean, we, we got to talk about Wankster, right? Oh, of course. Right? Okay, so 50s, you know, he, he comes, he recovers from getting shot, and without a label deal, Columbia drops him. Um, he decides, okay, I'm just going to flood the streets with Because music. of how much of a threat he was, by the way. Correct. In t- to their bottom line. Back to that untouchable thing that, you know, we had mentioned earlier. Um, he just starts flooding the streets with mixtapes, and it becomes the hottest thing in New York. Yep. And, you know, he's got a, a young protege uh, by the name of Lloyd Banks, who bar for bar looks like the next hot punchline rapper in the game it all was just this perfect uh marriage of you know i mean we got to talk about the fact his mixtapes he to me was the first one of the first artists that started taking other people's beats and just kind of remaking them himself and his song would be hotter than the artist that dropped the song originally right it was like a, a hip-hop Luther Vandross. I mean, you had it was like one of those things, yeah, like oh, always man, and forever, well, and yeah, house like, is not oh, a home. Shit, and he took it <laughs> now. It's a rap for that. Yeah, it's not yeah. my song anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know it. It's uh, so that that gets him discovered by M. Right. And obviously, the big song that ends up on the Eight Mile soundtrack in 2002 is Wankster. I mean, if if you were around during that time, summer of 2002, you could not avoid the storm that was coming. You could see the storm coming in 50 Cent, and I feel like we have to because. Part of Get Rich or Die Trying in this whole time period is, you know, the beef with Ja. And Ja, at that point in his career, is no longer, oh, I haven't dropped an album. Now he's Ja's a superstar. A, he's a, and people forget that Ja was a bona fide superstar. This guy had everything he touched. Top 10 old. pop records with uh, J Lo and Little Mo. And then they discover Ashanti. And if you turned on the radio, you could not miss the. Let's just call it the thug ballads well, that he, he was dropping. He found he found his lane, and I, I would say is he was the person who made it cool, where everybody you know was listening to that and not clowning them for it. Whereas you know, there's you know, Big Daddy Kane called hell for it when yeah, he did it yeah. because it was unheard of, and then it kind of paved the way. You know, there's a there's a correlation there between Ja having to do what he did in order for Drake to be what he is now. Oh, for sure. So it's he kind of in that way was a really a bearer. pioneer. Yeah, he. I mean, he he was a pioneer. A lot of paths. That being said, though it may have been cool to a lot of people at the time, save for your old heads who were like, "This ain't real," you know. Yeah. Uh, Fifty did not find that shit uh, amusing at all. Oh, and it was hey. the perfect. It was the perfect thing. Like if it you already, was. The if you already got problems with this guy. It is the perfect thing to <laughs> yeah. look at and say, "Look at this guy. He, he's singing for hoes, and he sounds like the Cookie Monster." Yeah. yeah. You know how many times are are we gonna hear, "What would I be without you?" Yeah. He he really took advantage of that entire situation just simply by Ja existing right. as who he was. You know, on one side, you got Ja, you know, out like you said, he's out here, he's making songs with the chicks, and, you know, they're great, you know, ballads and songs you can throw on and certainly songs you could play for the girls. 50 was not that. 50 was out here like, I'm, I'm a thug. I'm not hiding none of this shit, and I don't like his ass, and I'm about to cook him. Well, like, and he was on those mixtapes at the time, right, which yeah. I think kind of added to that factor of, like, Jaws a triple platinum artist. He's on Def Jam. This label isn't going to want to take on 50 Cent, a guy that just got shot two years ago. Yeah, he's making mixtapes that the streets are kind of flocking to, but, you know, we don't want to touch somebody that's going to go directly at one of the most commercially successful artists in the game to that point. 50 was... Uh, and Eminem didn't care. No, well, Eminem certainly, he had the perfect uh, person backing him. Right, the machine, if you will. Right, 
And again, if if it's not to provide a perfect amount of context for how huge Fifty was hitting the scene, it was bigger than when Eminem hit the scene. Now, let's Eminem, a superiorly skilled lyricist and music maker and hit maker, and he was white in hip hop. That's something that will always just shoot you to the top. His debut, his rise on the scene is nothing compared to 50. It's true, though. It is, which is, that's obviously no knock on Eminem, who also almost rose to the top immediately. But 50 was just this thing that was larger than life, right? And, you know, through all this shit, he has all this turmoil surrounding him. He has what seems like all of New York trying to kill him. And he did sort of develop this Nicky Barnes, Mr. Untouchable thing where it's like, yeah, you could try. They already shot me nine times. You know, I don't like you. Fuck you. I put in work like you. It's like he had nothing to lose. So he was just going to do what he wanted to do. And, you know, M M's looking at that and saying, I, you know, he's starting shady records and he's saying, I need to, I need to present an artist. I mean, he had D12, you know, Obi Trice was around the corner, but he's looking at it like this could be the meal ticket. Like M M does have an ear for talent. And boy, was it. It was. So, he, you know, 50 drops Wangsta on the 8 Mile soundtrack. Um, the song is a huge smash. And it's announced that, okay, he's signed to Shady Aftermath. So now you don't just have M saying, okay, I want to rock with this guy. You got the backing of Dr. Dre, who, I mean, is you know, to that point is... Marshall Mathers LP 2001, which we just discussed. I mean, there, there was no bigger entity than Aftermath in the early 2000s. So him announcing this signing, I think kind of, it kind of shifted where, at least to me, where New York hip hop was going. Because New York at that time, obviously we mentioned Ja, Jay was feuding with Nas. I just felt like there was kind of a void there for a street artist. Because DMX was, you know, rest in peace X. X was kind of fading. His demons were getting the best of him at that time. Right. There was a, a real uh, lane for a, a hungry young artist from the streets to come in and kind of bring New York back to that. And 50 did not shy away from that. He, he saw that void. He also made mention of it on high all the time, you know. If David could go against Goliath with a stone, I could go at Nas and Jigga, both for the throne. Right. Like he he saw all of this and said, I'm about to I'm about to take over. And he knew he knew what he had on his hands. You know, he's he's spoken about it in interviews. He knew when he recorded that album, like, I'm about to I'm about to wreck the game. It's, it's, and I it's have over. so many people that don't like me. This is about to turn me into you know, a, a super mega star. It was, it was this total package, right? Because, well, let's let's go into so let's, see, let's in the, get into the album in, in the right. club, in the club. One of the biggest club anthems. I mean, it is. I what think it that's is. one of the biggest singles ever in in hip hop. It's one of the biggest singles ever in hip hop, and it was it was this thing where so Fifty has this uh this persona around him that's almost like part dead man part boogeyman part shooter part you know all all these bad things right he drops in the club and now there's an anthem that women will lose their shit to right and he didn't have to try to cross over to get there and that's one thing that sticks out to me about this album is i mean you know we talked about the singles on 2001 <sighs> As great as they are, the singles on this album go toe to toe with that. They're Very much they're, so. they're right on that level. Very I mean, much so. he was able to cross over and become a bona fide pop artist without ever having to try. Now he tried in later years. You could tell he was reaching yes, for that. Absolutely. But here, this is just a very organic feeling of an artist that's making good music. I mean, you have to mention even to this day, although although he doesn't make a whole lot of music anymore, Fifty's ability to craft songs. I'm not talking about right. A 16. I'm talking about write a chorus and, and be melodic with it, but not have to reach for that, oh, he's singing on a record. It's right. unparalleled it to this day. It never felt like he was. Never felt that way. It never felt like he was, even though he did at times, right? But it was really just harmonizing. So right. it was, it was sort of, he found this perfect pocket to where he could harmonize on something, but people not accuse him of doing the same thing that he was getting on job out. Right. And it was, it was just genius. And, you look at the singles from this album, all right? We already mentioned In the Club. 
So Those that's iconic, one, that iconic Dre production. That's just, one that women are going to lose their shit to, right? But then you got 21 questions. Right. And that's one where it's like, Rest in peace, Nate Dog. Oh, look, he's a sweet dog. Like, the, the, it's sort of this there's thing, a right? Sen- where there's he's a sensitivity. Like, he, it was almost like Pac esque right, in that right. sense. Except where it's just, not, not as great at it, but yes. There was a vulnerability to him once he's dropping songs like that. And, and when you think about this from sort of a schematic standpoint, it was genius because. He had to know, right? Like, I know I got the, I know I got the goons on my side, right? I know the kids are gonna listen to this shit because they're hits, you know, whatever. Like, the young people are gonna like it. How do I get the women right. to to kind of embrace me? And at that point, have just my demographic be anybody with ears, right? right? There you go. Twenty one questions. P I M P. Another record that just took off through the fucking stratosphere i mean it, to another level like he he couldn't miss on this album there were so many songs on this album and i would argue here's where 50 has a leg up on dre with respect to 2001 50 has more songs on this album that could have been singles than dre did on 2001 you look at songs like if i can't or what up gangsta i mean these songs could have been released as the first single, and I think they would have took off the same way. They just have that feel. If they put out Patiently Waiting as a single, it would have destroyed. But then like, you got the Eminem beat and the Eminem feature. Yeah, and the Eminem, which I'm glad you mentioned that. That's Eminem's beat, and it was a great beat. It was the perfect beat for this song. Like, they... I mean, this, the, this, this album deserves to be what it became this album has since gone this album is diamond it is diamond this album is diamond i think it sold 1.2 the first week alone i mean it's it deserves every bit of that right we had never seen anything quite like this no like it 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 comes out and he has and we haven't even mentioned by the way many men is personally many men is still one of my Easily one of my favorite songs of all time. I still listen to, I mean, I still listen to this album, but I can't skip many men. Right. If that song comes on, I mean, it's the, when you talk about the beat and the way that there's something about the way some people, you don't have to be the greatest rapper, but if you can structure your songs in a way that you understand will catch people's attention it, it that's i think this was such a perfect display of 50 knowing like starting the song blood in my dog and i can't see like it's the way that is so melodic and it, you have to listen to it like it's it's impossible to turn it off well i'm gonna be honest that that is my favorite song on the album mm-hmm. um and i think it, partly because it embodies everything that 50 cent is you know, it's telling we, a story we talked about the ghetto quran earlier this was like a ghetto Quran part two. I yep. mean, he's talking about the guys that shot him. This he, is what happened. Right. And this is what, this is where I am he now. Wasn't, he wasn't going to change, even though he's now got this, you know, this commercial backing. And um, just from the harmonization and the, like you said, the way he's crafting the melodies and, and, and the hook and everything about it, it's, it's such a perfect record amongst so many songs that are, are on that level. I mean, this whole album is just literally from front to back. You can't, you, you don't want to skip any of it. And even the lesser known songs like Bloodhound, the debut of Young Buck, you know, Young Buck was with Cash Money and UTP and the way he hops on there. And then he's introducing Lloyd Banks on 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 the song, Like My Style with Tony Yeo. Like he, 50 did a great job, not just pushing himself to the forefront. And, and this is something Ja was never able to do. He really presented his artists as the next stars. You know, Ja had Black Child and Cadillac Todd, you know, but you could tell early on that Young Buck was going to be a star. Lloyd Banks was going to be a star. Yeah, he, 50 went out there and pushed, almost immediately 50 said, you know, I'm 50, but by the way, I'm a brand. And this is my brand with sneakers. Yeah, and all of that happened. I mean, this album was so big, it all just happened right then. Tank tops. Hats, oh, G-unit clothing, you had all this different stuff, right? And just the allure around him continued to grow and grow. And it, he just, he blew up into this thing that felt like it had always been there. It was almost like he he 
had been a superstar forever when really he was the newest of new money. Right. And again, we're talking about how great and iconic these songs are. 50 never lost a sense of who he was as a hungry MC in the sense that all that shit he was talking about murder Inc that ended up getting him shot. And he kept talking it out, you know, on the mixtapes, he still brought that to this album. And, you know, we have to talk about back down produced by Dr. Dre. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a song quite frankly, and it, listen, I'll catch flack for this, but I'm a Ja Rule fan. All those records that, you know, that we were talking about the pop ballads and stuff. I don't have any problem with that, but, this singular song almost came out and just crushed everything that Ja Rule was, and he never recovered from it. Yeah, I mean, he he absolutely just... Because now he's catering to the old heads that, like, they don't like those Ja records. They don't like the way this sing-song hip-hop shit is going. 50 brought it back and said, no, nah, I'm not rocking with any of that shit. Like I said, you sing for hoes and sound like the cookie monster. You're never going to sell Mitsubishi Ta and Crack Child. I mean, he he shut down their whole camp with one song and one album. I I think that's that was really the that was the one. Like that that was the nail in the coffin right there. You know, there was after that there was really no chance that Jaw and Murder Inc were going to be able to recover from from that whole thing and by the way, having Eminem as somebody that you also have against you is not good because yeah. Eminem is really damn good at insulting people. Right. Like that is, he is great at that. Eminem, former battle rapper, like, and you see every bit of it. 50 and he M knew is what he, unfair. 50, 50 knew what he was doing too. I mean, not only did he shut down Ja, but he made Ja feel like I got to go back to the drawing board and make a whole album about 50 and M and Dre and completely um, abandon the formula that had worked so well for him. And he Before dropped, Rent Free existed. Right. He dropped that, 50 that, did that bullshit blood in my eye, uh, you know, later yeah. in the year. And it, it was it was done. So not only do you have an artist like 50 who comes out and he's got these anthems, these club anthems, and he's got these street anthems and he's got shit for the ladies but like he effectively killed uh one of the biggest rappers in the game to that point and that like in, in hip-hop where it is a, comp a competitive sport i mean that's just the cherry on top to you me. catch a body and that's you know once you do that um it's you're pretty much cemented right once you do that but uh don't want to fail to mention things could have gotten really ugly with 50 and his, and now I, I know that that's relative. He Things obviously had gotten ugly with 50, but uh, he did engage in a beef with Fat Joe. Uh, that was that later. stemmed yeah. from, yep. from the song New York, and uh, that situation, I would just encourage people to go listen, read about it. Uh, that could have gotten extremely ugly, and it took really the death of Chris Lighty for, for them to end up coming together and squashing that because that was about to turn into – a major uh war right in new york and that's just to give you some context on really how dangerous 50 cent was like in, in terms of he was so reckless but that same recklessness is what shot him what all the way him. to the top and by the way it's not like he was controversial and not talented because he made this outstanding album now and maybe one it, day, you know, maybe one day we'll 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 do an episode on on really fifties beefs and how all of that. Oh, we could certainly do an episode you know, on we'll, that. Alone. We'll definitely get into that at a, at a later date. When it comes to this album, though, um, I, I'll admit there are probably two or three tracks that that I I could skip right on this album. You know, I'm not going to front to back it, but for me, when I think about where I was and what an album did for me, how I felt when it came out, how massive it was to me, and also how much I, I still listen to it to this day, how much it stuck with me. Get Rich or Die Trying is in my top five for, for impact reasons. Mm -hmm. Which is important. Which means a lot, right? Right. I'm not saying it's one of the top five uh, hip hop albums of all time, or yeah, you, just, that you have it ahead of like Illmatic or something like that. Personally, but. just in my life, when this album came out, like it was Fifty was like Fifty was him. You had like, to be there. You had exactly <laughs> like you had to be there. So, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna pick one of these two albums, um, 
Well, that's just it. Now that I mean, we've, we've right. talked ad nauseum about how great these projects are. And, you know, the, the segments that we do aren't always going to be that. It might be two flops that we're discussing or right. maybe two good albums that we're kind of just picking between here. But these are two juggernauts. Yeah. And, and now that we're circling back and it's like, OK, which one are you picking? Who this this is well, tough. It sounds is going to sound crazy, right? Because. Like we said, I can listen to. 2001 front to back, not skip a single thing, no problem. I just said I can listen to Get Rich or Die Trying, but probably have a few of it. And I'm like, eh, I'll go to the next one. It's right. fine. Not many, just literally like two or three. But I'm still going to have to take Get Rich or Die Trying over 2001, which it feels I almost feel wrong. Like I need to go shower yeah. after saying that. <laughs> De-louse just yourself. <laughs> not, not because 50 doesn't deserve that, but because – it's Dre and, and it was like you 2001. Know, and, and we're talking about that album. We're, talking you know, about we're not, that we're not album, talking about yeah. The Firm. We're talking yeah. about we're 2001. Talking about 2001. Right. But just because of uh, what it did for me, where I was, and, and the impact that it had on me, and the fact that I just never, ever seen anything like it before, uh, I would have to go with Get Rich or Die Trying. I, I hear you, man. Um, I'm not going to lie. When I knew that we were doing this, this episode, I – you know, obviously I revisited both albums and I've gone back and forth just as many times trying to figure out where, where I ultimately fall on this because on a given day, it could be get rich or die trying or it could be 2001 for me personally. Uh, I, I think I'm going 2001 here and I say that because I love 50 and I love what he did. And, and obviously, you know, we're the same age. So we were there to witness that. Um, that meteoric rise and how it really just completely changed hip hop. And maybe 2001 didn't do that. Maybe it did it for the West Coast, but 50 did that for hip hop across the globe, right? Like internationally, he did that. We talked about it, you know, selling Diamond. Um, but I think I'm going with 2001. Um, there are a few reasons for that. I just, something about Dre's production on that. And I know Dre contributed a lot to Get Rich or Die Trying, but uh, as a fan of Dre, I think that he couldn't have made a better comeback album and in hip hop oftentimes that is so hard to do you know you're talking about peak hungry eminem uh the world hadn't really caught too much of him by the time that that album dropped um the reunion with snoop dogg the adding exhibit to this this fold the return of corrupt and nate dogg over this perfect blend of new west coast sounds that for me is 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 going to push it over the top and that's absolutely fair, and I couldn't agree more with the the, the highlight analysis of, what of it, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, again, I think the the driving forces for me were the impact that it had on me, and the fact that I'd never heard anything like it before, seen anything like Fifty Cent before, and that might be really or since. what or since, and that might really be the thing that sells it for me. Yeah, so thank you guys for tuning in. Um, obviously, this this was one of our tougher ones that we've done. Um, I love the debate. Obviously, if you guys feel... Could have gone on for another right, hour. Right. If you guys feel one way or the other, please feel free to reach out and let us know. Um, tune in next week. We'll be dropping a new episode. And until then, peace. Thanks for giving us a listen. Give us your feedback and let us know how you really feel. Subscribe, rate, review, and we'll see you next week.